I'm ready. Gaming and BS episode 129. Welcome to Gaming NBS, a tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad to have you amongst us. All right. Yeah, yeah. Wrapped up my Traveler game uh, this last weekend. Bit of a, not not too long from a storyline perspective, but we started off uh, pretty nice and ended up uh, kickstarting an intergalactic war, so that was always nice. So, left them having been the uh, tools used by the Kazin and the Imperium to cause a war. So that was kind of fun. Sounds like a blast. Yeah. Next up is going to be Dungeon Crawl Classics. Oh, really? Yeah. Campaign or just? Yep. Campaign. I got a little something in mind. Should be fun. It'll be my first real. I played DCC before Run It, and I want to... The crew and I really want to push it harder and get out th- and uh, run a campaign. Well, let's see what we can do. So it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Sweetness. Right. Well, announcements-wise, like- oh, Sean, do you got anything else? I'm sorry. No, no, no. So announcements-wise, I've said this before. I'll say it once again. Sean and I will be at GaryCon 2017. That is uh, March 23rd through March 26th. We will be there. So hopefully, <coughs> excuse me, I know we've got a number of different listeners and friends of the show and just friends of ours that are going to be there. So hopefully we will get a chance to see folks there, have a beer, talk gaming, and uh, just hang out for a while. That'll be fun. Yes, and we are trying something new this evening. I'm trying Zencaster with video because I think we can pull this off. I don't know. We'll see. So the idea is Zencaster, then also punching some stuff out to uh, YouTubeage, right yes. at the same time. So mm-hmm. this, we'll see how this works. I'm always <laughs> up for. I like to experiment. Up for a technical challenge. Yeah. Um. Oh, announcement! A we were on um the Literate Gamer oh, podcast. Yes, that's right. Literate Gamer. The boys had us on there. Nick, that was that was Nick fun. and Jonathan. Nick and Jonathan. Now, we don't know when it's going to drop. They seem to be able to pull a thing off that Sean and I cannot do, and that is that they will actually have a series of episodes in the can, as they say in the biz, where they have uh, recorded a series of them and then uh, are able to release them, you know, as they go along. So I don't know when we'll get out there, but it'll, uh, it'll come. I'm pretty sure they'll let us know when it happens. Right. I hope so. (laughs) If not, um, start listening to Literate Gamer now, and uh, you'll catch us soon. That's right. <laughs> cool. Anything cool. else, man? I think we could just roll right into it. Cool, man. Let's do a uh, random encounter. Random encounters. Random encounter. Segment of the show where we field emails, voicemails, social comments from social media. Uh, got a few this week, I think. We have some that'll be in next week's show already. Good so if you Lord. don't hear it, yeah, if you don't hear it tonight, we haven't forgotten about you. Well, Sean, I'm going to let you start this one off. I'm feeling sleepy, so I'm going to make you read first. Fair enough. And uh, Brett, don't go to sleep while I read this. I'll try not to. 
Well, James Carruthers James writes in. You Car- don't sleep through James Carruthers' emails. You no, you don't. Sit with rapt attention. I have a beer. He may and wake in, you up. I am raptly attentive. He very well may. James Carruthers emails us, Brett and Sean. I must open with compliments, as I always do. I'm awake. I'm awake. I'm up. I'm up. Somebody's saying something nice about us. I'm paying attention right now. (laughs) Sorry, carry on. No, no, that's fine, Brett. As I always do when writing to you for your entertaining banter and nuggets of wisdom. Thank you. Been loving your podcast since episode one. On the subject of dragons, I was disappointed to hear your disappointment, if you know what I mean. While I certainly enjoyed hearing your experiences and gleaning from your ideas like the dragon behind organized crime and or other elaborate machinations, I need to call BS on your attitude towards these iconic monsters, which, in my humble opinion, remain in 5e as awesome as ever. Oh, boy. They've got cunning intellect, flight, breath weapon, frightful presence, spellcasting, legendary resistance, legendary actions, and lair actions. All absolutely true. And possibly the biggest omission in your discussion, minions and allies. What more do you want, you spoiled brats? <laughs> Call the spoiled brats, man. Uh, oh, well. What are you going to do? I have to take it. But first, the attitude. As I, listens, I, as I listened, I felt really bad for both of you that you're missing out on these iconic adversaries by not including them more often in your games. Sean, did I hear you correctly that you haven't had a dragon in your games for over 15 years? Seriously? Are you even qualified to participate in this discussion? <laughs> wow. Boom, gut shot. The boo is at me, I guess. Apparently. <laughs> wow. I like this guy. Man, James does not pull any punches. No, he does not. Simply put, however, I would humbly advise that maybe you need to bring the dragons down off the pedestal you seem to have placed them on. Without specifically naming what's lacking, you seem to hold them to unattainable expectations. Just enjoy them for what they are. They don't need to be unique, world-changing NPCs all the time. And they can, ch- they can add danger, color, and tension as well as anything else from the MM. Or we, as we say... Monster Manual. Example one. My players were level six uh, or seven and went into a dungeon and quickly got in over their heads. It was going to be a TPK. I could see it coming a mile away, so I prepared. An ancient green dragon who is known in local legends by a landmark that commemorates her historic victory over a red dragon an age ago, but that's another story, had been keeping her eye on the party and knew their predicament via scrying but she needed them. So the dragon cast Arcane Gate, and the players used it to escape certain death. Now, however, they were standing on top of the hill at the feet, uh, feet, the foot of an ancient green dragon. In payment for their rescue, she demanded they go to an ancient temple that could only be accessed at the spring equinox, and which was guarded by a sphinx 
whom the dragon was unable to overcome to gain entry, to conduct a ritual and bring her the item that the ritual would produce. So off they go, using their wits. They bypass the Sphinx successfully, enter the temple at this appointed hour, and conduct the ritual. A golden egg is produced, which they deduce from hieroglyphics on the temple walls will give them a wish if they eat it. Naturally, one of the players eats it. But now, are they going to explain their betrayal to the ancient green dragon who is waiting for their return? Seeing no other way out of the conundrum, the player uses this, uses his one and only wish to wish for the green dragon to forget them. Priceless. But even a wish has limits when used on such a powerful ancient legendary creature. Her memory will return one day. Dat, dat, dat. Example two. Long story short, Rogue in the party finds an amped up short sword of sharpness, which is in truth a silver sword of Gethanki. Over the course of their adventures, the Gethanki periodically show up to harass the party in various unsuccessful attempts to get the sword back. Now that they know how powerful the party is, the next time this angry foiled Githyanki, Githyanki comes back, he'll be riding an adult red dragon along with six of his best warriors. Seven Githyanki riding seven adult red dragons? It's going to be epic. And I might add, this is a minor side quest of the campaign. In another campaign I ran, the fighter collected dragon teeth and wore them around his neck as a trophy for the multiple dragons they had slain. Players loved it, and years later are still talking about the time when the dragon scooped up the unconscious fighter and flew off. After a couple rounds of flight, the fighter woke up in a dragon's clutches in mid-flight by rolling a natural 20 on his death save and took down the dragon, all alone over its watery lair, barely surviving the fall himself. What could be more epic? I also ran Tyranny of Dragons, which our group had tons of fun with. There are other stories I could go on and on. Bottom line, use dragons. Take them down off the pedestal and just have fun with them. Don't overthink what they're supposed to be. Thanks again for the, all the BS. Keep up the good work and fix your dragon attitude. Your stalwart listener, James Carruthers, Vancouver, BC. P.S. Brett, you're still looking for variety and something different. Check out the dragons in the Tome of Beasts, especially the Void Dragon. No, scratch that, especially all of them. P.P.S. If you're wondering how a sphinx is able to thwart an ancient green dragon, please ask. That's one of my favorite monster versus monster theory discussions. PPPS. Did I actually hear you guys mention game economy as a drawback to using dragons? You got to be effing kidding. <laughs> I think one of the things that James is pointing out here is, how do I say this? <clears throat> so when you get to sometimes... And I was actually talking about this with my gaming group because we were done with travel. We're going to go on to DCC. We started talking about how some of the um, games we used to run back in the old days. Oh, we remember this. We remember running this module or the Axe of the Dwarvis Lords or Return of the Tomb of Horrors or whatever. And sometimes I think the concept that James has here about being putting them on a pedestal, it's sometimes you overthink the bad guy. Right. Sometimes you say, "How come? Why? You know, why are the goblins attacking? Are they really evil? What's their actual backstory? What's this dragon's backstory and plot elements and blah blah blah?" And sometimes, sometimes you don't need all of that. Sometimes it's just a damn monster. It's a thing. It's an entity for the players to defeat. And uh, <coughs> excuse me. And it's just a really, it's a really fun thing to do. And there's no reason that they have to be these incredibly. Um, 
difficult to deal with things, I guess, as Sean and I were talking about. James is right. I mean, we seriously, if you just, if you use them for what they're intended to do in per the rules and don't overthink it, probably a hell of a lot more fun. And that's, uh, that's some wisdom. I think I may, uh, take to heart and do that a little bit more myself. I like that idea. Yeah, we did mention economy. Yeah, it yeah, doesn't have to it doesn't have to be taken uh with as much weight as we may have emphasized, certainly. We uh should have James on the show for Dragons Man. Listen to this guy. <laughs> good stuff though. All right. Very good. <clears throat> well, we've said this before and we will continue to say this as awesome listeners write in and tell us awesome stuff folks like james and Ange and dresher and all these people out there who write into us we've got some really good inputs you know sean and i are just two guys talking about what we what we think and clearly we we hit some we hit some cool notes and sometimes we hit a couple flat ones james is here to uh call us out on a flat note so good uh, good input coming back thank you james Next up is we've got Jason commenting on Google Plus around social encounters. Excuse me, looking back a few. Um, after listening to the two social encounter episodes, I thought I'd share a simple system that I've used to build social encounters. I make no claims to originality. I'm sure I stole it from other sources, but I'm too lazy to backtrack. Anyway, it comes down to three questions. One, what is unique slash interesting about this NPC that is immediately apparent? You really only need one thing to distinguish most NPCs. The guard is far less interesting than a guard with a cloth palette, a guard with a squeaky high voice, or a guard with terrible flatulence. Major NPCs could get three things tops. What Number two, what does the NPC want from the PCs, and or what do the PCs want from the NPC? This can go either way or both ways, as long as there's someone who wants something. Altruistic groups may jump at the first opportunity to help an NPC. Uh, most other groups will be interested in some sort of bilateral exchange. You know your players best. That reminds me of the, I have not read the Hillfolk game that Robin Laws made, but that mechanic of petition grantor, that whole concept, that reminds me of that. Um, anyway, going on, number three, what is the conflict? Uh, this is what makes a social encounter important. Without it, you're just jawing meaninglessly with NPCs. Note, by conflict, I don't necessarily mean combat, although that is certainly possible. Rather, there should be some obstacle as to um, someone getting what they want. See number two above. Apply the Fritz mechanic, Sean's uh, example from episode 127. Interesting feature. Fritz is old and slow as hell. The PCs want their car fixed. There's a guy in the trunk that Fitz might discover. Conversely, I'm less, I'm less concerned about Brett's example of the baker, mainly because there's no conflict. Perhaps she's secretly spying for the Thieves' Guild, and the PCs just mark themselves as outsiders by asking simple questions about the city. You can tie another NPC to any of the goals or conflicts you identified above, and then ask the three questions about that NPC. Pretty soon you can have a web of social interactions that can take a a whole night, or at least until the PCs get sick of ta talking to people and start stabbing everything in sight. Hopefully that's helpful. Let me know your thoughts. I'll tell you, Jason. Um, <clears throat> so my the idea of the baker is so to expound on that further. Whenever I have, whenever I do that with an NPC, and I introduce an NPC to have additional color commentary on the world or something else that helps to build the setting, makes it more real. Blah blah blah. I also do have, I should have clarified this, in my back pocket is the potential that that NPC could become something really cool. If the players choose to make that NPC an integral part of their daily conversations as characters or whatever it is that they're doing, if that is something that they want to get into, then that NPC, yeah. Suddenly I start saying, it would be really cool if that baker was a secret assassin or if the baker... Um, 
you know, killed her husband and she's just making friends with people to try to cover up the fact that she's just murdered him or whatever. So I, I have used that in the past. So, but that, that's another, I do like, um, I do like these, these points here, these three main bits, you know, what's unique and interesting. You only need one or two things. What do you guys want from them? What do they want from you? And, um, why is it hard to, why is it hard to get it? What's the conflict? What, what makes it a little difficult? So that's good stuff. Sean, what are you thinking? Yeah. Yeah. It's got, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking. <laughs> All right. Well, you want to tackle Michaels? Yeah, I'll tackle Mike's. Michael Drescher emails us Hey, Brett and Sean. First off, my plans to leave for Seattle. Well, okay. He has plans for leaving Seattle. I didn't know that, Brett. You didn't know that? Oh, he talked, he talked to me about that. I'm sorry. When he. Met me at um, Evercon. He brought that up. So they've been put on hold indefinitely. That said, I'm finally acting on your advice and looking to get an online group going for some awesome RPG action, probably 4E or Fate. (laughs) Any tips and tricks for online play? Also, some friends and I were talking about how RPGs and gaming in general has helped us through dark times and mental illnesses. What are your thoughts on the medicinal qualities of gaming? Possible show topics, perhaps? To keep rambling since I have the free time, Blades in the Dark is the first pencil and paper RPG I know of that has a theme song in its credits. Furnace Room Lullaby by Nico Case. And it's perfect. Would you guys choose to be... What would you guys choose to be the theme song for other RPGs? Thoughts on that, Brett? Um, let's see. I have had in the well, uh, back in my White Wolf days, they used to have tons of music quotes. Throw out them little pull quotes from Metallica albums, um, Bauhaus, all sorts of different um, musical types and so forth. I remember seeing Meatloaf. Um, um, song quotes and, and so on. In the back of a lot of the different books that they would have would be uh, music or movies for inspiration. So some of those have been in there. I haven't. I have not. Um, I didn't. I missed that in my Blades in the Dark PDF. I have to take a look at that. I think the um, we've talked a little bit about online play in the past, Sean. I think it might be worth revisiting. Um, I've talked to a number of different people about online play as of late. <laughs> might be handy to. Maybe you get a guy like Hobbs. He does a shit ton of online play. Anyway, um, and we have chatted briefly about kind of the uh, medicinal qualities, as it were, on gaming. I don't know if we've done it on the show or if just you and I have talked about it. I think we've I brought men- it up before. I think I brought it up before. We've mentioned how it is beneficial. RPGs have have had benefits to people, but I don't think we've gotten into – I mean, there's some – podcasts that have done shows with people that suffer from depression um, and have spoken to how they've been dealing with that and how RPGs plays a role in that. But we haven't, I don't think we haven't dived into it, um, into that. That's a tricky, that's a tricky one because I, I have a friend of mine who, um, and it's very, very helpful for him, which is great. It helps him PTSD and some other stuff, and it's it's just really, really good for him. Um, but I can say that unequivocally, I don't know enough about it, and that I think if if for no other reason than 
understanding your players. You don't have to understand necessarily what personal demon he or she or they, they may be battling or just something they want to work through, whatever it is. But having, um, I guess, what I want to say this is be aware that people are at the table sometimes for more than just killing goblins and, and taking their stuff. Even if that is the um, initial goal that everybody's agreed to do, sometimes there's there's a little bit more to it. It's just, it's a good way to relax. It's a good way to do something else. Good way to you know lose yourself from that shitty week you had at work or whatever. So, and I'm not neither Sean nor I are really. We're barely qualified to talk about what we do talk about. I hate to, I hate to give potential um, medical advice of any nature, and then uh, yeah, that might not be good. <laughs> I'm not that I'm not that smart. As far as the um, lyrics go, uh, Dan, uh, Dom, Swords and Wizardry has some Led Zeppelin lyrics on the back cover. I didn't know that. That's true. I would have to say that Led Zeppelin. Is like a no-brainer as it comes to some uh, inspiration or some tunage since uh, Jimmy and the folks, Jimmy Page, you know, Jimmy's a buddy of mine. Well, Lament- of course. Lamentations of the Flame Princess, James Raggy, uh, um, that's like metal, 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 death metal, various different right. forms thereof. That's constant. Hmm. Interesting, though. He continues, finally, for Die Roll, Evil Hat Productions is working on a Fate City toolkit, Fate Space toolkit, and even Fate Cthulhu, which is supposed to be a Terminator meets Lovecraft-style RPG. Sounds pretty awesome, and they're taking applications to play test Fate Cthulhu. So that's if that's your fancy, check it out. Thanks for listening to me ramble. Good gaming, MD. Very cool. Michael's a good guy. Um, I think, I'll tell you what, though, man, I... It might be worth, we've talked about online gaming in the past. It might be worth kind of a redo because we've both done it more since that time. And I think it might be worth kind of just hacking through it again a little bit. But, uh, um, hmm. Yeah, I think we're going to have to hold that one. But otherwise, I'm glad you've, uh, glad you're going to do it, Mike, because I think you need to step it out. If you can't get a regular group together, being able to game online with people is just, it, it is literally the next best thing. You still get to scratch the gaming itch, be creative, all the cool things that come with the RPG hobby. And um, even if you're living somewhere where you don't have a regular group of people you can get face-to-face with, it, it is the next best thing. It's really cool. Cool. All right. Next up we have George hitting us up from the website. Uh, hello, gents. I'd like to comment on episode 12, Game Balance. Woo, he goes back. Oh, you go taking it back. He, uh, yes, he says, that was ages ago for you guys, but I'm new to listening, and I pick out various episodes to listen while I drive, do cardio or game prep. Anyhow, I'm assuming, like most other listeners, that while he's doing cardio, his heart rate goes up at a certain point, and his rage against what we say builds, which just helps to burn fat. That's a fat burner right there. That's that's from medical advice from Brett to you. Anyway, <laughs> he says, I've enjoyed all of your cast so far. I really like the show. This, this episode really worked for me, as I completely agree with Brett regarding the drawbacks of encounter balancing. In fact, I once had an email exchange, a short one, with Chris S. and Misdirected Mark, as he too favored balancing. We were arguing around CR ratings and D&D style monster manuals, and I'm against them. In short, I don't think any DM, GM, referee, whatever, should be able to sense the danger level of an encounter by understanding one. I think, excuse me, I think any should be able to, any DM, GM, referee, should be able to sense the danger level of an encounter by understanding one, stats and traits of those involved, and two, the situation which may or may not be about combat. Even so, I don't think GMs work 
should work to make encounters balanced. Interesting? Yes. Tricky? Yes. Balanced like salary caps in baseball? No. I don't think the players should count on the notion that every meetup is represented by a fair or balanced design. As Brett argued, this is not the case of novels generally. I don't even want my players fully aware of who slash what they run into. The tiny green fellow in the forest might be a young tree troll, a sickly elf, or a goblin, or Yoda, all with various possible responses to the PCs. In any case, players can't approach with the certainty that the encounter is fair. That's what makes it an adventure as opposed to a sport, in my games anyway. However, I do agree with Sean's point that some games are built on tactically fair chances. If that's the case from the get-go, then so be it. I just don't run or play the type of matchup scenarios. Perhaps it's because I grew up playing games other than D&D where balanced play was not mentioned. Even now, I prefer Call of Cthulhu or other grittier systems where death is quite likely. Okay, I know I haven't had much to debate beyond additional support of Brett's angle on this one. Overall, I'm glad you both made lucid and helpful points. Thanks again, BSers. George. Well, very cool. Glad to have you aboard, George. Nice to have another listener. And, um, yeah, I think <coughs> I think Sean's – the fact that you called out Sean's point about certain games having the that level of tactical fairness as a key component for how that game is built. It's, it's a – perhaps not the core mechanic, but a core component of the overall mechanics is probably one of the more compelling reasons for me to say, yep, I can see why you have those in this game. But – much like you, George, as and uh, as I think other people who've listened to me or played with me well know, um, you know, sitting down and slowly but surely balancing out all my encounters—that's just not a thing I do. Sean, anything, Dad, or you want to move on? No, I, I thanks for writing in, George, and uh, the the overall balanced encounter debate continues in some circles. That's okay. Yeah, that one still rages on in the interwebs. <laughs> okay. Next one's Lake you, Ryan emails us, Hi, guys. Enjoying the show. Regarding evil games, I don't run evil games. Many people work in socially competitive or even hostile environments, so to have social PvP in a game takes away from a friendly atmosphere and the escapism from reality that gaming can bring. While some people can handle the social PvP style, most cannot. And it has destroyed many D&D, World of Darkness, and Shadowrun campaigns in my 28 years of gaming. I can see that. In real life, it can Absolutely. often feel. In real life, it can often feel like you cannot change the world in a positive way, but in games, you can. However, in a social PvP game, no one is trying. So again, it can feel like bringing real world's BS into the game. No, I am not advocating everyone avoiding internal conflict at all costs, but you can make an effort to get along with some of the time. Get along some of the time and find reasons for characters to associate together without the game feeling contrived or everyone running off on their own. Lastly, people forget that when you fight as a group against another group, there is a strong sense of camaraderie that does not disappear when it's not convenient. Remember it. Have that sense of camaraderie years later, even if you have not interacted much recently. The point being, you, sh you would be far less likely to screw over your party member after you've fought others 20 plus times by their side. That's a very good point. I mean, we, you and I have talked about that before, Sean. I mean, even just <clears throat> something is mundane is, you know, pulling a 21 hour project changeover and working with network engineers and, 
you see those those men and women later on, they're more willing to work with you. You've got a rapport and so forth. Think how, again, I have not never served. I've never been in a real honest-to-God combat situation. How how tight would your group be after the 15th dungeon delve beneath, you know, <laughs> you're now five levels lo- deep in Undermountain. You've been battling through trolls and orcs and other things. Chances are you're uh, probably getting along pretty well by that point. Yeah. Um, agreed. Like I didn't get along with everybody I served with, but you know, if we're going to go off and get into a foxhole, um, you know, things, a lot of that that dumb shit gets pretty, pretty removed pretty quickly. I would assume so. Regarding Aussie accents. I'm a 42 year old Aussie. Sean should not be attempting the Aussie accent. Perhaps he could try another accent. Most people have a few in them. <laughs> Denied. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> all right. All right. I won't do an Aussie accent. I'll do something like this. This is my own. This is my own accent. Yeah, it's it's weird, Blake. <laughs> yeah. See, I don't even fit into a bucket. Come on. No, you don't. You cannot contain Sean's accent. It is it is it is legion. There are many of them. We're gonna have an episode on that, Brad. I have that on the list. Oh, God. Okay. Uh, Regarding gods and RPGs, totally agree. If you are running a Greyhawk adventure, you use the Greyhawk gods. Use the tropes and style intended by the creators. Always use them, but they send messengers or strange dreams. Never just rock up and splat someone. If you trash enough temples of one god, you might find your hometown gets an earthquake. God knows everything every one of their followers know. Gods, like planes of existence, flesh out the universe, and like monsters allying in factions, remind the players that their characters exist in an interactive world. If you are playing in a long-term peasant to immortal game, then God's existence gives you something to aim for. Good points, good points. All right, we've got the next one up is fin- – oh, and uh, by the way, it is nice to hear um, – so, Blake, I don't know. So you may not run this back to us or not, but when you are you Australian as you, you're living in Australia right now, or are you actually stateside or Canada or Europe or something? Just curious, just wondering. Well, what's that matter? Like he loses his Aussie accent? No, no, no. I just, I just want, I just want to know if because then when we if we talk about accents, then I can ask him like, so now that you are, you know, if he's out and about and he's or if he's running into a bunch of idiots who are trying to do an Aussie accent poorly, maybe he's got some uh, pointers. I don't know. Brett, no, see, just, Brett has an accent. No, honestly, the the curiosity is just more from a hey, where do our listeners hail from? That's all. Yeah, it does Brett not invalidate. His Did opinion. you hear him say? He said out and about. It's oot and a boot. Oot and a boot. Right? Yeah, that's <clears throat> right then. All right. Finnell from uh, <laughs> North Bay, Ontario. Kanukistan, as he says. Um, hey, guys, been listening to your podcast for a little over a month. I've only gone back a couple of months for the podcast so far. I've been enjoying the BS banter while doing overnight stock. I learned of your show when someone shared a, the bonus BS of Mark Miller at Game Hulk on 2016. I enjoyed the relaxed and sincere. I enjoy the relaxed and sincere nature of your show. The pair of you sound like the kind of guys who could enjoy a decent drink with, be it brewed or distilled in nature. No general questions. I think I just need to listen to more of the extant shows to justify that. And specific comments, I have two. Firstly, I agree with many of the comments that 
Any dragon employed as a battle tank is an utter waste of a good role-playing opportunity, such as the two episodes on Social Encounters. Secondly, as an old-school uh, GDW fanboy, I like to employ a combination of random outcomes for Social Encounters, a la 76 patrons, and the GDW deck of cards, two-card NPC motivations mechanic, which I think came from Twilight 2000. However, I never let the dice or cards get in the way of advancing the plot in a sensible manner. Anywho, keep up the fine work. Fennulf, North Bay, Ontario, Canuckistan. Well, Fennulf, thank you very much, man. It's good to hear. Uh, we got a couple of new listeners from the sounds of it there. That's pretty cool. Um, I missed the Mark. Is Mark Miller? Mark Miller's coming back, isn't he? I think you said that. He's on the. He's on the. He's on the list of 2017's guests. That could be cool. Because as we said for 2016, Mark Miller doesn't get out all that much. Um. You know, you mentioned Twilight 2000, and that is a game I remember making characters for. One of my buddies in high school had the game. We made characters, and we never had a chance to play. And that's one of those games that I'm like, ah, I should pick that up. I should get a game of that in just to play it and see how it works and if I would like it. so on. Because everything about it seemed interesting, at least it did at the time. So cool, cool, cool. Anyway, thank you, Finol. Thanks for listening, and we do definitely appreciate you writing in, man. Anything for you, sir? Yes, indeed. Thank you for everybody writing in. Let's get into the main topic. Let's do that. All right, Brett. Now help me define this because I heard potions. I heard consumables. I heard yes. Yes. What are we, what are we talking about, Brett? <laughs> so VC was milling around one of his uh, friendly local gaming stores down Illinois way and posted up some pictures of the old gamer theme sodas. In a, in a cooler down there. And he said, hey, boy, I wonder if the potions is a topic. I'm like, you know what? That actually sounds like it's kind of fun. I've done some funky things with potions. Potions also lead me to think about what I refer to as one-shot magic items, like scrolls or limited charge items and that type of thing. I think, we'll, I think you know what? We'll probably start with potions and see if we uh, dabble into the other areas, see if it stretches there. What do you think? Yeah, it sounds like a plan. Okay. So the interesting thing... The reason that, excuse me, potions reminds me, I should say, about other one-shot magic items. The reason it does that is because some of the things I've done or the way that potions have been used in my fantasy games, to find a way to use that bit of cool in a sci-fi or a modern setting, then I'm like, well, I need to have something else. Cypher system has their ciphers, which can are similar type of effects. But anyhow, so generally speaking, when I think of a potion, Sean, I'm thinking about something that it's a quick hit magic um, you pop the cork, glub, you down it, it gives you a temporary boost, an edge, a power, or something, hopefully right when you need it. Off, most often healing, <laughs> you know, when, when the cleric is down, you're like, oh, thank God we got the extra healing potion, cram it down the cleric's throat because we need him back up to uh, start the healing um, on everybody else. You've got fire breath, you've got water walking, water breathing, all any, I mean, pretty much any magical effect you can distill through some alchemical mystical process into a liquid that can be consumed. Um, do you potions, the other thing I have found, and this is where my question will come, is that potions seem to be like really super hip and cool for in level, in level based play when you're weak, or even if it's not level based play, but when characters are weak and they don't have that magic sword yet, they don't have a lot of spells, they don't have a lot of other things to rely on. Um, I have found that your fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, 10th level characters, tend to be like, ah, it's a potion. I'll keep them in my bag. Yeah, I don't have them. Ah, maybe I use them. Maybe I don't. They don't seem to be as prevalent as they are when you're younger, and maybe it's because they're cheap or easy to find. I'm not sure. Sean, what do you um, 
do you have any experiences like that with potions or what do you think? Or don't you, or what happened? It's fu- well, of course I've got experience with potions, Brett. I mean, what do you, of course. Yeah. No, what I'm asking potions is that do you stuff. have, do they, do they tend to burn out for, from your player, either as a player, as a game master, do you get less use of them or see them being less popular amongst the gaming group as they advance? Or is it kind of, do you think of potions as a low level treasure item? Oh, that's a good point. I do think that they tend to come in in better at lower levels. I mean, it's uh, the economics of healing, which is typically the big potion. Yes. Is is usually not beneficial at higher levels. The other thing that happens is that when you have a potion of invisibility, you've got a potion of water breathing or something. This is goofy because this kind of harkens back to the game balance episode, but it's that way of giving the player characters or the NPC or whomever is using it something that they normally would only have access to easily at a higher level, right? Um, I have a potion of fire breath. Well, normally if I was a mage, I would have fireball at like level five or whatever. I'd be hazard class. I could cast fireball. No one in the group has it. But we have a potion with two uses of fire breath. It's not the same as fireball, but it's close. And it's limited use, so we can you can blast a couple bad guys with it or something. But it's um, it's just these temporary little oomphs that get you kind of kind of over the over the hump. I know even, but I think you're right. It's a lot of times it comes down to potions of healing are the big thing. Everybody wants to have. Even I remember, you know, you've got post healing, extra healing, you know, uber healing or whatever would happen in different worlds. So you'd want to make sure you have a couple of those. Even if the cleric was usually there to get you back up to full or, or closer, you need those potions for when the cleric got his or her ass kicked. And you're like, oh, shit, she's down. Get over there. Get, you know, you know, douse her with the potion. Get her back on her feet. We need that or him or whatever. Um, do you do, do, do so? Let me do this. So the other components with potions in games is there was always the the admixture of potions where you, you've taken two healing potions and then you also, within quick ordinance, or not ordinance, quickly after that you, you down an invisibility portion or something, which could turn you into a walking ordinance charge where you accidentally have a different combination or something blows up on you. Have you ever done that to people with potions? I don't remember the last time I had somebody like... I don't know, drink a gasoline potion and then drink like a fire potion. No, <laughs> not quite like that. I guess well, it could I know happen. I know there's charts for it. You know, I mean, first Ed, AD&D had it. I think 5e does shit. I need to crack my book up. But a lot of OSR ones especially would be like, if you drink X number of potions, you risk some sort of an alchemical concoction being brewed up in your guts, which could be devastating or give you some bizarre permanent effect. I do recall a player in a group I was playing in at one point permanently um, was turned permanently invisible just because he, you know, the, the way the potions mix in his, in, in his system, that's what happened. And then the poor bastard was permanently invisible, which was kind of neat for a while, but became very annoying. Yeah. It's like the, you know, the kid, when we were kids, uh, Brett, that drank the pop or drank, you know, ate pop rocks and then drank some Coca-Cola. Yeah. Exploded. <laughs> it, yeah. It happens. I mean, that could happen. Right. It's it's an 80s thing. Look it up. Um. <laughs> yeah, totally happened. Knew a guy, suffered, was poor, uh, ha- just 
bad shit. One of the things that's interesting then is potions are also a wonderful way um, for to <laughs> to r- remove gold from those pesky adventurers, right? When the player characters roll in the town, you're like, oh my god, we're beat to hell, and uh, we go to the temple. Okay, the cleric can heal you. Does he have any healing potions? Why, yes, he does have a couple. How many does he have? He has five. How many? How much does he want for him? Five hundred apiece. <sighs> Fine. We'll empty our coffers. We'll donate. <laughs> we'll donate fifteen hundred gold. We'll take as many healing potions as we can get. <coughs> healing potions are just a wonderful way from a game master's perspective to remove that pesky gold coins from those uh, player characters that end up a little too much loot. So that's always nice. What the hell are you doing? You know, I fuck my goddamn cat will not stop bothering me. It's freaking he's driving me crazy. <laughs> I'm watching Sean on the film on the on the camera here and he's like moving, zipping, bipping around, like reaching on oh. his chair. I'm like, what the hell, dude? It's very funny you can't looking. see him. You could barely see him out of the corner. He's like right about here. Like his little head pops up right about here. That's, and he's that's he jumps up and he's like, dude, feed me. Give me food. And I'm like, get the hell out of here. I've squirted him with water twice. He's like, Augie's like got a bottomless now. gut. And if and if he doesn't get like food in that gut, he just keeps driving me crazy. Anyways, <laughs> there's a little tidbit about my damn one of my damn cats. Uh, anyways one thing i got a question i got a question for you sure hit hit me hit me posh all right so you come across the you come across uh brett uh fiddle fiddle bottom comes across a three vials and uh as you search the the creature you come across three vials one's red blue and green oh so you leave it you're letting it be a clear glass vial so i can see it you could have been a fucker yeah sure no, okay. Right, they could be right. They that's another yeah. aspect. But so fiddle bottom, you've got three glass vials. What do you do? Well, um, if it's depending on the game system, I go find my mage and say, "Hey, detect magic on this." Right. But one of the fun ways to do is, of course, you pop the top of one of them and you sniff it. What does it smell like? Oh, one smells like fire. <laughs> oh, it's obviously a potion. Fire breathing. I'll cap that. Sniff the next one. Oh, it smells like roses and unicorn farts, man. Okay, hmm, interesting. Then you, 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 so on and so forth. Then eventually, especially back in the day and your OSR style stuff, you eventually go, all right, fine. I take a little bit of it and I put it on my tongue. What happens? You know? You gotta, <laughs> drink, gotta drink more than that. Oh, so do I have yeah, to like drink it, the whole no thing? Do I, do I have to, you know, and then the, the dickering happens between you and the game master because basically the mage can't figure it out. The cleric doesn't know what to do. And you're like, I want to know what this does. Ah, oh, you know, so do you hang on to it? What do you do? Because it's it's an immediate boost, right? Um, There was the traditional potions of blue were all potions of healing in a game I played. So if it was the potion of blue, good, this potion of healing. So a buddy of mine used to do this where he would put throat leeches in all the healing potions that you'd find. So if you didn't take care of that, you'd chug the healing potion, a throat leech would go down your throat, which is a creature from the old fiend folio to expand and kill you, which was just a shitty, shitty way to die. Um, or rot grubs in them too. That was great too. Uh, <coughs> but <laughs> the, the, the thing with the potion is you don't know what it's going to do because every alchemist or whomever made that potion, you know, the crazy lich, you know, Cesar Khan the Mad has devised this thing and goes and you find it. You go, ah, I wonder what this does. And as a buddy of mine said, only an adventurer would go down into a musty ancient basement, uncover a chest full of vials of strange liquid, say, I drink the first one. What happens? 
if you did that in your in your house, you'd be dead, right? I actually I yeah, was in a party one time when we had a paladin do that. He saw what he thought what he was positive were dragon sized potions of healing, and he guzzled one. And it was paint thinner, and he died <laughs> because he failed the saving throw. It was terrible. Yeah, I mean, what the hell? Down in the dungeon, who knows how long those things have been sitting around? Everything's got to be rotten. Ah, I'm sure it's fine. It's magic. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Oh, that's no right. expiration, no expiration date on enchantment. <laughs> so the the other fun piece to Sean's my, when Sean and I a little goofy thing there is I have I stopped putting potions in clear vials so you could see what it was. Put them in different containers of clay. Um, sometimes whomever has them labels them. I had players that would always label their stuff because they their logic was that if I don't label it and I go down and the, the cleric runs over, rifles my pack looking for the healing potion, which one's the healing potion? There's five potions in this dude's bag. Which one is it? You don't want to have to know. You don't want to have to guess. You want to know. You know, kind of the military concept of labeling the shit out of everything. Glove box. I don't want to guess where it is. I want to know where it is. You know? So, <clears throat> and when you find potions the bad guys have, sometimes they're labeled. Sometimes they're labeled incorrectly on purpose and so on. But it is amazing, at least at low levels, how a potion can take, I guess I want to say like a half hour, sometimes real time, where people dick around trying to figure out what the potion does. Because you know it's a one-shot magic item. You're going to use it. Whatever the effect is, it's just going to happen, right? Um, <clears throat> so you can, you're just trying to figure out what it is without poisoning yourself, blowing yourself up, or accidentally saying, oh, great, I just used water breathing, and I don't need that. Great, I just wasted this entire potion. The other piece, Sean, with potions is, do you, when you beat the living hell out of the player character, right, the giant storm giant smashes them, do you ever work with um, the whole item saving throws concept? You got crushed. You got blasted. Oh, see what is survive the huge fireball blast you have just suffered from. Yes. I don't remember the last time I've ever done that, but man, would that be a good time? I like using that with potions because I always figure potions are in a... <clears throat> Even if it's in a a metal bottle or a leather flask that's pretty flexible, or whatever, there's always the chance that whatever the stopper mechanism gets ruptured, broken, snapped off, bent, or leaks through all this fighting. So one of the things mechanically I've done in the past is when a player has a potion, I'll have them make a quick um, check of some kind, a saving throw I, I would pick out of my pocket or something. Or if they've had living crap beat out of them, I would say, give me a... I don't know, a dex check to see if you were able to kind of hang on, you know, and you, you didn't, through getting the crap beat out of you by those ogres, you didn't, all your potions weren't destroyed. Or telling them, hey, give me a DC 10 check. What, just a straight DC 10 on a die, no modifier. <clears throat> That's just to see, and then, oh, what happened? Well, you know, give me a D4, fine. Three of your potions are destroyed. Ah, oh, shit, which ones are they? Let's roll randomly. God damn, because you just got the crap beat out of you. Now, if you've never done that type of thing before, just introducing, hey, randomly taking away your treasure might be a little harsh, but it is, in my opinion, a fun thing a fun thing to do, especially with those one-shot magic items. It makes them valuable, and people want to figure out how to store them, what to do with them, 
and it turn, takes that piece of gear and makes it something that you want to be careful with versus that sword or the wand, wands and rods and other things that rings and people would just cram stuff in their bags because they're, they're adventurers, right? So they just got shit hanging off of them all the time. But uh, having potion bottles get busted is, was, has always been a fun thing for me. I do think that it should happen. I don't think it happens often enough. I think potions are typically hand-waved meta, right? So I get a potion, we'll identify it later. GM or DM says, ah, it's a potion healing. Cure all wounds. Great. What's this one? Ah, uh, you know, you're going to find this out. It's a potion of fire breathing. Oh, okay. Mark that one. So you mark it down on your sheet. So when the time comes around, you can just pop it open and go, Hey, I drink my potion of fire breathing. Sweet. Awesome. Okay. Excellent. Give me the, you know, roll the dice. Okay. What's the damage? All right. I saved. I didn't save. You know, very few times are they not identified. Very few times are they ever broken or lost. Um, I don't know. They always seem to be. The other piece that goes with it too is that even if you, as you, as you hinted to before, right, you're in the dungeon and you've encountered, these goblins and somewhere in the goblin chieftain's hold, he's got a box and there's four potion jugs in there, right? There's these small little clay bottles. You identify them, they're potions of healing. You have no idea of its real efficacy because how long has this goblin had them? This goblin chieftain may have had them, you know, that he got off an adventure who got off another adventure, who got off another adventure. And now they're finally handed down to him. They're five, 10 years old. God knows. So the other thing that I have done is depending where you get it from, I will drop the efficacy. They'll say, oh, it, you know, it's a, it's, well, what's the, how many does it heal? Well, that's 3D8, right? No, 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 no. This is 3D4. It's half. Why? It's spoiled, man. It's, it's, it's efficacy drops after a certain point. Oh, shit. So introducing that in when they find, when it's a found potion, then I have had players, they pay attention to that. Then they come up and say, okay, I want to go, bu- go to the temple and buy potions. And then they start asking, like, <laughs> you know, green grocery questions. So, When's the last time you mixed up the potion? You know, was uh, is this pick fresh from the field? This this corn, or uh, hey, was this potion brewed early this morning? When was this made? Because they're trying to figure out how old it is. <coughs> Excuse me, how long it'll be effective? And then when they, I had one character, one player, I should say, who would list on when he picked them up, so he always used them in order. So his healing potions went bam, 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 and tried to use them in order because he was worried. It never really came into play. Other than the fact that it made him worried. So he's like, well, we better use this healing potion because I think we're going to be losing efficacy probably within the next couple of weeks. We've had this thing for two years. I haven't even touched it yet. Hey, Brett, you ever have a, you ever have a situation where you're, you're like, okay, you find the bottle, fiddle bottom, and you're like, great. I get the wizard to identify it. And the wizard, the result of the wizard's role is not privy to the wizard. So you have the wizard roll, like you gotta you gotta do the the higher low thing that Frank does at time Metzner. So for those of you that haven't played in a Frank game, he doesn't allow he allows you to roll, but you don't know whether you've succeeded or not because he rolls a die on his end, and that die he rolls determines whether high is good or low is good. So it keeps the person on edge on whether they actually succeeded and know what they're talking about. So going to that, um, Brett, have you ever had a wizard be like, oh, that's a, that's a potion of fire breathing. And then you have the, the player character down the road in, a, a, in an encounter say, hey, I'm going to drink my potion of 
fire breathing now and you're like great you start to float up towards the ceiling <laughs> son of a bitch <laughs> i have had i have not used that aspect however i have done the whoever's identifying it and they can depending on the rule of the identify spell or the flavor of the game is like well you it has aspects of summoning of this or that blah blah blah, blah. oh it's a potion of X monster summoning, or it's a potion of this other thing. So it is fun sometimes to you give descriptions of what a thing is, and then like, oh, clearly it's fire breath. That's awesome. Oh, here comes yogurt, guzzle it down. You're now resistant to fire. What do you mean it's fire resistance? Hey, dude, you, 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 you this is what it is. And I have on more than one occasion had a <laughs> this is back in college, had a wizard identify stuff. You tell him that's a potion of healing. He'd hand it to the. He'd say, "I, I wouldn't use that if I. That, that's a poisonous. Po- that's poison. He he would take it from the player. No, that's that's poison. You don't want that. Oh shit! He lie. He would just flat lie because he'd be identifying it. He would know all this stuff. And the wizard's like, "Fuck you! I'm not telling you because the thief did something that screwed him over la- earlier. Or he was mad at the cleric for something. He'd be like, "No, that's that's not important or whatever it was." So it's funny that some of those instances can actually create a decent RP scenario. Absolutely, because when you drink that thing down and you're like, you son of a bitch, it was, I swear to God, I thought it was a potion of fire breathing. I swear to God. God damn it. I got my ass handed to me by that ogre because I couldn't breathe fire. You know, that, that's like, fun. Like, does a potion of invisibility actually, like, if you hold your hand out in front of yourself, is it actually disappeared? Or do you think you're sneak isn't it hilarious like can you imagine somebody like drinking a potion of invisibility and they're not and they're kind of sneaking around thinking they're inv- invisible it's, it's and somebody's f- watching them like what the hell are you doing it's feigned invisibility you're moving like a street you're moving like a f- street mime trying desperately to yeah that'd be great uh, <laughs> the <laughs> the other piece <laughs> i was just thinking about that uh the other thing that happens and this is Potions are are one of the magic items that uh, when I give them out, if the, in an adventure or whatever, one of the if you're running a long adventure, uh, I saw my buddy do this. And I started doing it whenever I've run long pre-made adventures. Like, oh, you're in this room. They found the potions. I'd make a note somewhere. Oh, you should watch Eric do this all the time because depending where you're at, you weren't able to go back and get that raft of potions identified. Say you've got 15 potions that you identified because God knows you stuck them on the portable hole. You're going back to town. You dump them all in front of the sage, mage, whomever in town and go, what are these? And the game master goes, fuck, where'd you get that one? Um, well, I think we got two of them at the, was it with the goblins or was it with the bugbears? Well, one of them are there. And when you have these things, because, again, some not everybody's willing to go through the whole, okay, I look at it, I smell it, I want to taste it, does it taste, you know, and they don't want to fuck about like that. They're like, no, look, just stuff it in a bag, we'll get identified later. It behooves you. If you have a plan for those potions, if you're not randomly rolling them every time, if you have a plan for it, my advice is make a note on the side that says, you know, they found all these potions. You know, they're the ones in the steel jars were found in the, you know, Dwarven King's hold. The ones in the clay were found here or whatever, but something that you know. <clears throat> so when the players actually hand it out to whomever is trying to identify, they have some, you have some fucking clue where it came from. So you don't end up, um, screwing the pooch as far as it goes for uh, giving out the the specific potions that were perhaps in the adventure that, that were uh, maybe have a reason to be there. Because I've had that happen. 
So an interesting thing with potions to me is that when I, I remember first, one of the first sci-fi games I ever played was Star Frontiers, which is perhaps, I know some people don't like it, but you would in a sci-fi game, you end up with stims and different med packs or other things. Again, it's a one use potion type of thing. Most often devised to keep your ass alive or protect you in some way. Oh, this one will let you, you know, breathe sulfur or deal with this, um, bad habitat or whatever the case is. Um, but I think that concept of a one-use quick hit potion where you basically just take a shot and it can get you through the trouble quickly, one of the cool parts about it is the duration, right? <clears throat> I've done this before with when I've said, you know, reduced efficacy of a potion. We have a potion of invisibility, and it's halved. It only lasts half as long. And a player doesn't actually know that, so they want to go as fast as they freaking can, get their shit done, get that mission done, and get back. It's a similar thing, right? If you have, you bought your, um, your, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever stim system you got in your Star Wars game or your Star Frontiers or Star Trek or whatever, Star Trek probably not so much, but anyway, you've got whatever that is and you bought the Acme version instead of the brand name, you know, you bought the generic instead of something, does it last as long? I don't know. Um, but anyway, where I'm going is that the short term nature of these things, it's a one shot quick boost. Unless it immediately heals you of damage. That's the thing I haven't done, but I have toyed with before, is having a weakened hit point, a weakened magic healing potion. It heals you up, and then it wears off. You're like, what? Oh, it was temporary. That just It was just a temporary boost, man. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, you started bleeding out again. Oh, lovely. The wounds didn't heal all the way, or whatever the case is. But there is a um, <clears throat> there's a time limit that's self-imposed by the fact that it's a quick hit. Po- the potions are quick hit items. You need to get something done within the time that it, that it ends. It's not like a magic ring. Whoop! You put on a magic ring of invisibility. Fucker lasts until you take it off. Where the magic sword is always plus one all the time. You know, you're not worried about using up the plus ones. You always have that with you. Potions enforce the or can enforce anyway the need for speed. So, Sean, what's the most interesting way you've used a potion in a game as a GM or player? Do you have a Do you have a potion story that jumps out at you? What you recall? <laughs> Not other than other than just drinking them at random, or and then you know they're burned, right? They're gone, or it had some wacky effect. Um, but typically, it's it's like I said, most games are kind of hand waved as meta, which is unfortunate. Um, I have done the labeling thing where they haven't been able to determine what they are. So I'm like, is that potion number one, number two, or number three? You know, and they haven't identified any of them. So they don't know the properties. They don't even know the the school of magic they're from. I mean, they could be water for all intents and purposes. That's true. They could be. <laughs> you feel you feel that your parched is your 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 parchness is quenched. Uh, you feel refreshed. It's awesome. It's like clear spring water. Ooh, must be great. Elven magic. No, it's just water. <laughs> Placebo effect. Placebo effect, yes. Um, a thing I've done as well, speaking of, depending on the level of magic in your game and how you deal with these things. I was hinting at this with like the, the sci-fi piece. Like, did you take the generic stim pack or did you buy, you know, you know, Volturnus brand stim packs. Volturnus are the best. Did you do that? If you 
in Avalon, I have had street vendors that have they sell alchemical potions. Basically, it's every it's snake oil salesman, but with potions. You can go and the guy will be and you looking for something. The players have little to no coin. They're trying to find some way to get patched up or something that they think could give an edge. They go, hey, there's a potion vendor, an alchemist shop down the street. I'll go talk to him. <clears throat> so they go down there, talking to him and his assistant. They're working with him. Like, oh, here, here's what you need for this. Here's what, the guy sells cures for baldness, rabies, you know, love potions, all sorts of crazy shit. And some of it's good, some of it's not. Sometimes it's just random shit happens <laughs> you know, when you drink it. I've had <clears throat> players where they... Took a, they got a hold of a potion of speed. They're like, this would be great. The problem was the potion of speed worked, and then immediately after you were sick, uh, you were sick and nauseated for 24 hours. You like had a 24-hour flu. Bam! Because when it wore off, all the toxins that were built into this quick and dirty, ugly-ass alchemical concoction made you sick as hell. So that's another thing to do, right, is that not all potions are made with quality. You know, they don't have the – they don't say, you know – you know, uh, what I want to say, they don't have the stamp of approval on the side. You know, they're not Pfizer made. They're just, they're just some, some magician, some cleric, somebody somewhere was phoning it in that day. And guess what? That healing potion doesn't, isn't as strong as you thought it was. With that visibility potion, when you're done drinking it, it makes you sick. Which, if you have a saving throw mechanism, you can invoke negative side effects from potions. Much like, you know, I've... Excuse me, I've had uh, dental work done, and I have found that if you give me Vicodin or anything like that, I vomit. My body doesn't deal well with Vicodin. It's not good. So if you want to take that one step into your game, say, well, you've taken the invisibility potion. That's great. You know, my little fiddle bottom, the halfling bard thief, that's cool. Give me a give me a poison save. What for? Just, just give me a poison save. All right, so you save versus poison. That's good. You feel a little nauseous, kind of heartburny. Not too bad. You fail that save, you vomit. Or you you start sweating, and you just, oh, God, I'm just overheated. It's just uncomfortable. You're at minus two. You're at disadvantage or something. You can invoke or imply, in, not invoke. You can enforce um, small penalties if necessary. Or, or even give people bizarre pluses. Like, it lasts. It doesn't stop. Right? Gotta have a a disclaimer, man. If uh, erection lasts longer than four hours, call a friend. If your ability to move (laughs) as twice normal human speed lasts longer than four hours, please call an apothecary. Um, So if I've not done this, but I can envision it, right? You you drink an invisibility potion and it wears off in waves. And you walk around and no one can see your head, right? (laughs) Everything else is there. You're... Your hands are fine, but your fingers haven't shown back up yet. There's a weird side effect. You can have a roll. I'm thinking DCC. It's almost like a failure roll, right? You've you've drunk the potion of fire breathing, and that's great. But for some reason, you can't see your thumbs anymore. Your thumbs have disappeared. They work. They're there, right? You can you you can use them, but you just can't see them. It's awkward. It's weird. Or you lose a finger. Something weird. Something bizarre happens. You you go bald, right? Think of different people. Actually, the snake oil salesman and the horrible. Um, when medication um, was even, <laughs> even worse than it is today, you know, there would be bizarre concoctions of shit in there. And uh, you've been drinking potions nonstop. Well, guess what? Toxicity builds up in your system and now you're bald or you've got joint pain or whatever. You can get crazy with it or just make it as simple as a uh, one shot side effect. Hey, you're sick. Ah, shit. Yep. Shouldn't have had that potion of speed. Revved up your, adre- revved up your adrenaline, your immune system, all this great stuff. And now it all, sh- now it's all crashing. Yeah, I like the side effect uh, piece of it. You know, even if you're doing like 
hell, maybe you got the uh, potion of higher fire breathing. Well, guess what? Now, until you find some magic milk, you suffer like one point per day of damage because your mouth's on fire all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you could have, yeah, just, you know, it, again, it doesn't have to be crazy, but it can, it can be something, it can be damaging. It can be annoying. It can be just that type of thing, which again, to me, just makes potions a little bit more interesting. Maybe it makes your breath smell like crap, and now it knocks down your charisma because every time you talk, it sounds like you've been you've eating been eating shit all day, and now you're yeah, and your breath smells like crap because you got that after effect of fire breathing. The other piece, we, good money. The other piece that potions do is it, they can. I've used them in games with the horror theme, even if it's not. Like a Call of Cthulhu thing, God forbid that you would ever drink anything you find in a Call of Cthulhu game. For Christ's sake, don't freaking do that. It's some bizarre concoction that, uh, you know, an, an elixir that creates undeath. But take that into, you go into the Lich's Lair and you're looking for a phylactery. Do you really want to start drinking the potions and concoctions that are in this evil necromancer's lair? Probably not a good idea. Um. So those potions, the other thing I have used them for in fantasy games, even from a plot perspective, is that they're really great clues to be found. People are dead. They've been poisoned. You have, I've not done this, but this just, this just hit me is that, you know, is there, <clears throat> people are dying, adventurers are dying, or a certain group of people are dying. Could that be traced back to a cleric who's fallen out of favor with his or her deity and that cleric refuses to acknowledge the fact that they've fallen out of favor, and by the god, they're going to continue to make healing potions. They're going to continue to do this job. They're going to continue to do something, and they don't even realize that what they're doing is actually selling cursed healing potions, and their people are dying because of it. That It's a small little side plot. That type of thing could work. Um, or when people have been, you know, people are murdered, they've been transmuted, they've been turned into things, I think, back to our uh, Trail of Cthulhu game. It was the liquid, right? Um, when I ran yes. for you, people were yeah. drinking a medicine and it was actually this horrible distillation of an entity from another world that was causing transmutations to happen. Then you guys locked in. Okay. It's the liquid. It's this thing. You end up looking you, the whole MacGuffin component was the potion that was being handed out. Again, they're, they're small one shot things. And once they're down, you're like, no, don't drink that. Oh fuck. It's down. You know, it's not like you can tackle a guy, wrestle a sword away from him when he's chewed up when he's bit the cyanide capsule and when he's chugged the potion it's 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 in very little you can do i think that's about all i got on potions man you good we are we we should move on to die roll we let should us know how you got, let us know how you got creative with potions i think potions are fun and like i said i there's what sean and i just threw out here and some of the ideas we've had i mean there's multiple ways to tweak them and work with them and I think for old grognards like Sean and I, or men and women who've been playing even longer, taking something as silly mundane as a potion, we'd even get into scrolls and other types of things, you know, because I wasn't sure if we would. But taking that and tweaking it in some way and making that piece of it interesting again adds a level of mystery and wonder back to the game. Like, oh, now, I, oh, yep, that, that makes sense. I should worry about that thing. I shouldn't hand wave that as easily as I used to. Back when I was in high school. Kind of goes back to the dragons thing, right? Sometimes you don't need to overthink it. If it's big and whatnot, you can just have a dragon be a dragon, you know, Mr. Freud. But other times, sometimes with a potion, 
eh, maybe it's worth tweaking with a little bit and add some uh, add some flavor back in. All right, die roll. Let's do it. Do it. Huh. Stupid button won't work. Stupid button. Dumb button. Die roll. Two to four miscellaneous points of gaming and Greekery and inspiration we want to bring to you. I fell short this week, which happens periodically, That's right. Brett. Sorry, Brett. <sighs> Sorry, man. I hope you, so, you and the listeners are going to have to carry me this time. Flip the Table podcast. So I met Flip. He is an associate of our listener, patron, Roger Breslet. Uh, <laughs> so Flip and I met professionally because he, he, I was going to help him out maybe with his job search. But uh, he, he's like, hey, I know you're a podcaster. And he's like, yeah, me too. And he told me about their podcast. I think it's hilarious. I downloaded it and listened to it. It's a board gaming podcast. But they do board games like CSI, like from the CSI board game or a Barbie board game, like all the board games that you like. We all play the Euro board games and all this stuff. These guys find the most obscure, weird ones and then they play it and they kind of bring it up. So the last podcast I listened to was the CSI one. So they talk about. They were each one assigned to watch CSI, and then they talk a little bit about CSI, and then they talk about the game and some of the good things and the bad things, and it's well-produced. I was I was thoroughly entertained. Huh. You know, <laughs> you and I have talked about this out, out of the show, and I know that I've got some friends coming over this weekend, hanging with Susan and I, and they're, they're gamers. They're not RPG gamers though right they love playing card games they love board games and so on i got them into um instinct which is just a simple trick-taking card game the wizards of the coast put out ages back when magic the gathering was new uh we've tried munchkin eh, kind of okay played some cards against humanity we all have a blast with that um and susan picked up one what do you meme it's all about creating memes and so forth and some of those fun family oriented or even, you know, not, not friendly for the kids type of thing. Party games are just, they're still fucking fun. Right. So even if <laughs> I'll have to give this a listen, you you mentioned this to me and I haven't downloaded it yet. I got to give that a listen, but if nothing else, if, if you as <clears throat> you, as in any of our listeners, just because it doesn't say, you know, it's not, you know, shadows over Camelot doesn't mean it's a shit game. It still may be a ton of fun. I like Jenga. Jenga is still fun to me. So anyway, I mean, they at one point in the game, the host made up three games, and and one of them, well, I think one of them wasn't real, and two of them were, and so they had to guess which one was not real, and and they made up some like it had to be on Board Game Geek, okay, and uh, that was kind of hilarious. So they'd be like, okay, Brett. You know, here's the three games, and they give it to you, and Brett's like, oh, yeah, that they never made that game. That's the one. And I was like, nope, this is the one that they didn't make. You're like, oh, and it was hilarious. You got you to gotta listen to it. Anyways, nice. number two for me, Adventurer's League Log. Uh, helps keep track of all your Adventurer's League play. So if you are an Adventurer's League from Wizards of the Coast, and you want to have a log online that allows you to just type in and keep track of that stuff, there's a resource for you. 
some of you Adventure League players probably know of it. And if you don't, that's okay. Check it out. Uh, number three, another one, Adventuring Log and Online Tools, which is similar to Adventurer's League Log. So you can keep track of your Adventurer League player characters' um, stints in organized play. Um, it also allows for scheduling. It's like a scheduling website as well. So for organized play, I think it's there's a D and D five E Adventurers League. There's Pathfinder. There's Arcanus, I think, which is the Living Arcanus. I think is one of them. Okay. So that's another resource. And then the last one from our bout on. Literate Gamer podcast. Oh, Dwarf Fortress. Yes. Brought up Dwarf Fortress. I didn't know anything about this. Maybe some of you that are listening to this are like, oh, dude, Dwarf Fortress rocks, man. How can you guys not know about this? It is like 8-bit persistent. And when they talk about it to me, I'm like, oh, it's totally a MUD, right? A multi-user dungeon back text-based. So a link in the show notes, you got to check it out. It's a persistent, like, mud-type online game. Like, I think it's solo. Um, just the website itself is like, oh, my God. Yeah. It's, it's like a single-player fantasy game. You control a dwarven outpost or an adventure in a randomly generated persistent world. Interesting. Huh. It's, yeah. That looks, check that, that out. So, uh, Brett, I'll let you do the listeners. Oh, thank God. So, Goblin's Henchman. Um he pointed out to us, I saw this hit a couple of places, but he's, he brought our attention to it first. Scientists revive weird microbes after uh, freeing them from ancient cave crystals. We've got a link in the show notes. You read that as a gamer, and you're like, nothing nothing good can come of that. What? Why would you do that? So thank you, Henchman, for pointing that one out. And Azrael Arrocha uh, gives us a list of D100 objects of moderate value. Uh, link in the show notes. Papers and <clears throat> pencils.com. I think we've come to these types of things in the past, and I love them for like your random thing. You want to, you know, unfinished painting commissioned by a duchess who died, a tribal mask from a far off land carved from a piece of wood, uh, you know, uh, an oak elephant or something. <clears throat> these things are, again, they're, they're fun to have. Creative players can do amazingly cool things with them. You can turn them into just about anything and everything, and uh, they just add more flavor to the game. I think it's really cool stuff. Thank you, Azrael and Mr. Henchman, sir. Yes, thank you so much for supplying those. Um, also, want to thank uh, Azrael CCS for the review on iTunes. I'm going to guess it was a Canadian listener with the name of Azrael. It's got to it be our buddy Arrocha. It may well be. Yeah, so thanks for doing that. Much appreciated. Hope your podcast is doing well as well, as well as well. Hope all is well. <laughs> oh, I'm stuck in a well. <laughs> exactly. All right. We better get out of here. Otherwise, yeah, we didn't mention uh, this this episode fully endorsed and sponsored by Gamehole Con, a gaming convention occurring in Madison, Wisconsin in the first weekend of November. Get your asses to Gamehole Con. That's GameholeCon.com if you want more information. Uh, we would love to see you there. Um, it's a great con. It's small. It's about probably 2,000-ish people. About that. And uh, they're, they're going to have True Dungeon again back this year. It's, it, 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 
Brett's gonna run some. Brett's gonna run some cool games. Sean will run a game or two. They might even be cool. You never know. <laughs> Brett's a RPG podcast all star live oh. DM. We gave, we gave we gave Chris crap. We're like, dude, really all stars? Really? Because oh, I think it's fun. I'm like, oh man. If you haven't checked out his podcast, <clears throat> uh, Chris is producing that. That's the Streets uh, of Avalon. The Avalon Streets of yep. Avalon, and it, and if you come to Gamehole Con, you could sit at Brett's table, Ooh. where he spouts his GM mastery. <sighs> he he's a humble man, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> People are going to meet me and what be like, you're a dick, Brett. No, Brett's an awesome GM. He really, truly is. Right. Um, and if you listen to that podcast, you'll you'll see that and hear that. Um, what are we talking about next week, Brett? You know what, Sean? I'm not sure. We've got a couple of things in the uh, in the hopper for topics. We um, hit a couple of good ones today. I mean, even, you know, we've been banding about going back to talk about how to run a session zero. Might even go back to the uh, pl- focus on players component. So not sure yet, man. We'll see what we see. I added a few to the list. Have you seen them? I have not yet. I figured you were a busy little monkey while I was out. I put down some campaign settings. Oh, very cool. I put down, I put down uh, role-playing tips, like actual role-playing, like funny voices, how to do funny voices. So This is where the accents I, came in play. Okay, I get it now. I, I'll do it as part of a show, man, because like, I think that you know, there are tons of gamers out there that play. You just add a little, little twist onto your speech, and it'll <laughs> right. just All take right. no, it to a whole nother level. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um, and then I think I put down a couple others. I don't remember what they are off the top of my head, but yeah, we'll, we'll be knocking some out here in the next few weeks. Weeks. Sounds good. All right. Well, this has been another... Sh- show of gaming mbs i'm one of your hosts sean i'm brett good night and good game and all this episode and others brought to you with the help from the following patrons christian sexy voice serrano kevin lovecraft joe swick brett's biggest fan jeff rodemacher forrest Gary, mark anthony benedetti bruce cunnington eric jeppeson andy hall sean nicholson tim jensen chris Steele, the knights of the night crew platy and jason blaylock remy billado Jason Hobbs Hobbs, Merkel Freulich, Wayne Humfleet, James Carpio, Pierre Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Eric Tankar, Brandon Barnes, Mark Tasaka, Brett Pazinski, Tim Shorts, Eileen Barnes, Chad Knight, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, Nicholas Abruzzo, Victor Wyatt, Tony Baker, Craig Huber, Eli Kurtz, Lost Sailor, Graham Miner, Todd McGowan, Roger Brasslett, Mr. Rick and Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, Christopher Gray, The Tabletop Game Talk Podcast, Stefan Dragonspawn, Jared Rasher, Evan Harrison, Cass, Finolf, and Ray Otis. For the cost of a coffee shop coffee, you could support the show for an entire month. Consider going to GamingNBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, listeners. This, this has been a Litterbox, Litterbox Studio, Studio production. production.